0: This is RPCC On Air. And we're back with episode 16 of RPCC On Air. Say with me, Jeff. Remote. Hello. It is another episode. And again, this new normal situation. Uh, me and Jeff are actually socially distanced for this episode. Um... Uh, you know, I, I can't reach out and touch him, and, and none of his microbes from his body can reach my body. So I think we're doing a good thing, and the governor would be proud. Um, <laughs> again, we're asking everyone to stay as safe as possible during this time, but we are continuing to keep our promise of bringing you candidates and news regarding the RPCC. Um, and we'll jump right into it for episode 16 with an interview with our new um, Court of Common Pleas candidate. I think, you know, kind of informally, we'll go with, uh, we'll go with boxing <laughs> terms. He, he is no longer technically the judge, but he was not defeated. Right, let's make that very clear. Uh, <laughs> Ken Callahan is back as our candidate for Cuyahoga County, County Court of Common Pleas. How you doing, Mr. Callahan?
1: I'm great, Colin, How are you?
0: Jeff? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing
1: well. I'm doing well. Can't complain.
0: I'm not letting Jeff talk this episode, obviously. Uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah, it happens, though.
0: Uh, So, yeah, we have uh, um, uh, uh, the Honorable... uh, See, I don't know what to call him now. This is very tough. Jeff, how about you start this episode? I
1: I answered a (laughs) question. So, um, we have Ken Callahan on um, the Honorable Ken Callahan. And uh, from what I know of what's going on is that you are taking the spot of Judge Phil Calabrese on the ballot and you're running against William Vaudry. Uh, So so, um, let's just kind of dive into your background here. Um, You were a former judge. You explained to us that you were involved with uh 30 years plus of legal experience you were a public defender a private attorney and then like we said before you were a judge for 16 years or before on the common pleas court so kind of jump into that just give us a little snippet of what your life was in the legal experiences that you had
2: well thank you i will uh try to keep it brief i uh i been practicing law in this community uh, either from a judicial officer perspective or from a lawyer for 37 years. Um, I began uh, public service as an assistant public defender. Uh, Dave Joyce and I came up together uh, in the Geauga County Public Defender's Office. Oh when, wow! When Dave got appointed prosecutor, I became the chief bu- uh, public defender for Geauga County. I held um, those positions from between 1984 to 1990. I first ran for election to the uh, Common Pleas Court in 1992. Um, I was not successful, but did well at the ballot. It was 60-40 against an incumbent. Uh, There was a vacancy uh, in 1993 created when uh, Don Nugent got appointed to the Court of Appeals got elected to the Court of Appeals. Uh, then Governor George Voynovich appointed me to fill that vacancy in 1993. Hmm. Successfully de- uh, defended the seat in 1994 uh, and again in 1996. And I won my last election in uh, 2002 with uh, 67% of the, uh, the vote uh, in the general election. I'm a graduate of St. Ignatius High School, went to John Carroll University where I got my BA.
0: Oh, wait, 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 Ken, we, we, we gotta stop there. Uh, All right. Blue Streaks, for some reason, are always streaking through our podcast. We can't have one podcast without mis- mentioning the illustrious school of John Carroll University. I don't know what it is about being in Cuyahoga, but you can't kick over a bucket without finding a John <laughs> Carroll graduate. So, I mean, Very true. That, that's pretty cool. Um, also, I, I just wanted to reiterate uh, something that we were laughing about before this episode started. Um, most of that history before 1991, Ken, me and Jeff weren't around for. Uh, it, like, I think that's really cool to know that you've been serving in a legal capacity longer than both of us have been a lot. That gives us a lot, of, um, a, a lot of faith in your ability here. Uh, but I want to talk about your uh, time as a judge um, and what you really were able to accomplish and the respect you you got from your colleagues there. Um, You received the Golden Gavel Award from the Ohio Common Pleas uh, Judge Association. Uh, You know, you're also on board for uh, the Cleveland Metropolitan Bar Association Judicial Selection Committee. Um, You're on the ADR Advisory Board and the Judicial Advisory Board of the Ohio Common Pleas Court Judges Association. So um, you know, with all those accommodations and award that you received for your work on the bench um, and as a lawyer in general, why do you think you're so well respected amongst your colleagues? And you know, you made reference to uh, uh, Go- Governor Voinovich, um, but you've also been appointed or uh, or maintained appointments through bipartisan uh, um, uh, cases like with Senator Brown. Why do you think a lot of these people respect you for what you do on the bench and, and in the legal field?
2: Um, yeah, it, it's, it's difficult for me to, to, to guess at the answer to that question. Um, in my service at the bench, I think I came to the bench uh, with significant trial experience, which was kind of a distinguishing factor among uh, some newly minted uh, judges. Uh, so I was... Uh, when I hit the bench in 1993 with significant civil and and criminal um, jury trial experience to begin trying cases regularly to uh, and preside over cases regularly to juries. Um, My my view as as a trial judge is uh, it's really very simple. It's simply to be as fair and impartial um, as you possibly can it 's to listen carefully to every litigant uh, it 's listen carefully to every uh, individual who comes before the court it 's to listen and take seriously uh, the backgrounds uh, and circumstances of those people that come before you for sentencing there's no greater responsibility that a trial judge faces than in its sentencing capacity uh, the the a decision to send someone to prison uh, takes away a job sometimes takes away mm-hmm. a husband a brother, a sister. Um, it should be used very sparingly. I believe that we over incarcerate in this country, and uh, I think prison except for violent offenders uh is should be the last option that trial judges uh, consider.
0: You know, uh, in, in, in this current climate and time um, where we're talking about criminal justice reform and, you know, even particularly as a minority, um, it's something that we think about very often is mm-hmm. sentencing and fairness and yeah. um, how do we kind of write that system? Um, what I do like, you know, about you being added to the um, ballot now is that not only are you speaking about this, but we also have Judge Edden, um coming out of the appellate court also working on something very similar. Uh, around sentencing and making sure that there's transparency there. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, we're kind of getting into a wormhole here, but I think th- this goes to, the, to one of the other questions we had for you. You know, uh, St. Ignatius boy, um, you know, uh, you, you know, I won't hold that against you um, as a Shaker Heights <laughs> yeah. public graduate at all, but, um, you know, Geala County uh, being a public defender, um, you know, I, I think my question is when you talk about sentencing and you talk about fairness and transparency, do you think your experience as the public defender if kind of influenced how you are as a trial lawyer um you know do you think it gave you any new perspective and background what to think about when you're sitting on the bench
2: well, first of all to, to potentially redeem myself, I want point out that my brother Colin is a uh, graduate uh, of the and a shaker raider uh, from about class of nineteen. I, know, I would say class, class of eighty or so. But uh, and you said his name was Colin. Colin Callahan, yeah. I know. Yeah. He,
0: okay, so he's good. He's
2: good. He's good. He's yeah. Colin. <laughs> <General> <laughs> <Raker>. he's good. <laughs> Your parents probably named you after him. So I'm sure. So yes, uh, being a public defender is uh, enormously sensitizing. Um, Many of our bench, and this is not a criticism, but it's 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 a fact that uh, uh, perhaps a plurality of the, of the commonplace trial judges in this county were former prosecutors. Prosecutors. Yep. Uh, that brings a mindset. It just does, and it doesn't mean you're you're biased or prejudiced, but you take uh, you you naturally uh, take the perspective of of, of law enforcement and uh, and that prosecutorial. Uh, uh, mindset to the to the job having been a public defender, as i say it uh, you sit down with families, you realize that people that come before the court are human beings uh, i 've said this for years, but the difference between a criminal defendant and uh, you know a, a leading citizen is often a matter of, of fine tuning it can involve uh, bad decisions, it can involve drugs. Uh, Some of the finest people in this community are Mm -hmm. people who are drug addicts. uh, And when they're not using drugs, when they're sober, they are absolutely, uh, they're great people. Uh, So yeah, being the public defender, you you talk to families, you understand the the stress and emotion that goes uh, to a family and for a person, not knowing whether he's gonna spend uh, you know, time in a in a penal or reformatory institution. So I take wow. that.
0: Wow. That's so cool. That that the I mean it, it it's you know, it's these are the type of things that I'm I'm really happy we have the podcast for because we get to hear from judges about some of the things that we as the public wouldn't know goes on behind the rope. You know, Jeff, like this is These are type type of things that you want your judges thinking about. um, You know, not only keeping the community safe, but what's best for maybe a defendant. Um, And a lot of times, people don't get to hear that from judges. They just hear the gavel kind of banging on the big wooden thing or whatever. Yeah, Um, yeah, it's it's good for commercials. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: I I'm going to say that we're going to dive into a little uh, slice of Cleveland history here uh, right now with the story that we're kind of going to touch base on. Um, I know myself, I know my, our producer of the show, we're huge Cleveland Browns fans. And Sunday's roll around, the game's on, one of my favorite pastimes, I'm rooting for Baker Mayfield. I'm always sitting there thinking, hey, this is our year, we're going to get a ton. So let's go back a little bit in uh, history here and talk about how um, you had some experience dealing with the Cleveland Browns. So uh, can you kind of touch base on uh, the story that you have here about how you
2: blocked the Cleveland Browns from leaving? Um, In 1995, I think rumors began to circulate in the community that uh, Art Modell uh, was thinking about Uh, pulling up stakes and and going elsewhere. Uh, And there were news stories uh, finally later in the fall of that year uh, that Atmodel was gonna have a a press conference in Baltimore uh, on Monday, I believe it was November the 6th of 1995. Uh, So everybody in town knew that, there would be a lawsuit filed uh, immediately. Uh, And it was completely random. Um, But on that morning, the the city of Cleveland uh, filed a temporary and permanent uh, injunction uh, against the Browns from leaving. They based their analysis on uh, uh, a lease that had been signed that Guaranteed that the Browns would play uh, uh, all of their home games for 25 years uh, at the Cleveland Municipal Stadium. Okay. Um, so that that case, I was trying a, a small civil case, and I looked out in the hallway. There were about a dozen dark suits, uh, and nobody <laughs> was. And uh, I realized that I'd gotten the case.
0: So wait, my my question is like with judges, you're supposed to like recuse yourself if you have any like you know like connection to the case how do they pick a judge specifically in Cuyahoga County that has no connection to the Browns were they like going through your closet looking for Browns jerseys were they like checking your tv to see if you were watching any games lately like how did you have to prove like hey I don't I don't care one way or another
2: well I think first of all there was uh they didn't choose me the uh, there's a Random computer a uh, computer program that uh, selects judges uh, on a random basis. So okay, okay. Um, so you know, you take an oath when you when you become a judge that you're going to be fair and impartial, and um, there was also incredible amount of uh, time pressure on the parties. The uh, people in Baltimore and the people in Cleveland did not know whether or not they had to. Su- Sell season tickets for the 1996 season, which had to start in February of 1996. So, so to 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 mess around with any kind of recusal issues, uh, I think would have wasted the party's time. So, I mean, that, it comes down to your fundamental oath and your integrity as as a as a human being that you will do your very best to listen to the facts. That you uh, you you try to. Uh, one of my colleagues said. While this was going on, there was enormous upcry, outcry in the community. You know, they're huge. Right. And and, uh, I was under incredible media scrutiny at that time. But one of my colleagues said, look, the best way to do this is don't pay attention to what's going on uh, outside of the courtroom. You look at the four corners of the legal pleadings before you and nothing else. I, I mean, that – that okay, so, again, me and Jeff
0: weren't there, but we've seen documentaries. There's a 30 for 30 on this. I don't know if yeah. you're aware of this. I, you're probably in it now I think about it. Um,
2: yeah, I am. So, you know, like, a we, saw,
0: <laughs> we saw how bad it was. So, for you to be able to, you know, keep it, as you say, in those four corners is really impressive. Um, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, people say – I don't know if this is an actual saying – but men are very loyal to their wives, their sports teams, and to their barbers. And for you to be able to kind of compartmentalize all of this, like in a case like this, because uh, I, I can only imagine. I mean, I, uh, Ken, you're a good Irish boy from Cuyahoga County. I'm sure there were family members of yours. Like, hey, make sure you get this done, you know? Um, and you had to block all that out. So that's, you know, that that is really impressive. Um, so I think we'll give you one last question and then we'll kind of close up this segment, you know, uh, can you've been away for the, from the bench since 2009. Now, um, you did think about running for city council and ended up pulling out of that to uh, right. work. Pardon me.
2: I, I forgot about that. Yeah. You're right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I did my research. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you, and you didn't do that. Um, and and you stayed in private practice. So, you know, What's bringing you back to the bench now, and and, and is that something you know that's in? It has to be important to you if you spent 11 years away and then now comes the, uh, a time that you're saying, you know what, I'll pick up the robe again.
2: Um, two two things I would say: a it was a uh, given the opportunity uh, under the precipitous circumstances of uh, Judge Calabres. Taking his name off the ballot, and there was a tight time frame to make a decision on that. But secondly, I mean, for a long time now, I've thought about. I really enjoyed my time on the bench. Uh, I th- I thought I was. Uh, I think I did. Uh, I was committed to the job, and I think that people recognize that. Um, in my last editorial endorsement, the Plain Dealer, uh, rightly or wrongly, said uh, called me uh, one of the county's most thoughtful judges. And I, I try to bring that consideration thoughtfulness to the decision-making process. This will be an opportunity, if I'm successful, to basically conclude my legal career uh, in a job that I love and in a capacity where I think that I can help uh, people of this community uh, in a number of different contexts
0: wow well jeff i don't know about you but that was uh that's awesome that was pretty impactful listen everyone um you know as as ken alluded to uh judge calabrese will be taking his name off of the ballot for um a undisclosed i don't want to say undisclosed reason for a reason we're not going to talk about but it is very positive um that he is taking his name off the ballot it's nothing bad at all well uh ken you know i think that kind of explains it all here um can you definitely explain to us why you want to go come back to the bench which is really important um you've explained to us uh, your integrity um your transparency uh and your real passion for doing this work it's not about just putting the road back on for you it's about being able to have impact on people's lives and i i will say this um as you know someone who wasn't around when the browns were leaving I can only imagine what that pressure was like, okay? Uh, and if you can remain uh, in uh, keep that same level of integrity, uh, you know, with all the things around you, with, with the city, you know, um, kind of breathing down your neck telling you you can't let them go, um, I trust you with whoever comes in front of you uh, on that bench here in Cuyahoga County. So once again, everyone, uh, please remember Kenny Callahan. He is coming back to the bench uh, for another number of years uh, after 16 on the bench of the Cuyahoga Court of Common Pleas we need to remember him on November 3rd or whenever you're voting uh, uh, by mail uh, early whatever way you're voting you need to remember the name Ken Callahan all right Cuyahoga Court of Common Pleas all right Mr. Callahan thank you very much again and uh, that'll do it for segment one of episode 16 RPCC on air say it with me Jeff Remote. remote
1: How will 2020 Census data be used? Where
0: there are more people, there are more needs for public services. That's why the Census is used by the government to inform funding decisions each year. But that's not all. It's also used by nonprofits to inform services, by businesses to create jobs, and even by students for school projects. Understanding how the population changes helps us shape communities across the country for the better. Shape your future. Start here. Visit 2020census.gov. This is RPCC On Air. Segment two of RPCC On Air. Say it with me, Jeff. Remote. Remote. (sighs) This This is a tough segment, Jeff. It's a tough segment. It's a I segment you we haven't brought out since the primary, um, and after we did this in the primary, the candidate decided to drop out of the race. So uh, we're taking we're taking credit for that here at RPCC on air. <laughs> Don't know if it'll work this time, but we're gonna try it anyways. Segment two, uh, Jeff is. Uh, you shouldn't say that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a good one.
0: Need a reminder that they shouldn't say that um who do you think we're uh who, who do you think we're uh, talking about today jeff
1: <laughs> oh man it's gonna be a good one it's all i'm gonna say i don't want i don't want to steal the spotlight on this one because i know that it's something that you like to uh, kind of kick off here
0: oh and, yeah um, oh yeah it is it, it it is the um it is the uh democratic presidential nominee um friend of all uh african americans (laughs) across the country um you know he you know joe joe really knows us blacks that's how he says it you know um yeah yeah he, he makes it very clear that you know no one knows more about african americans than joe biden um you know he he's he's worked in the communities with them he's uh he he's been the only one in the room at times you know He's, a, he's that guy that you want to ask about African-American issues, though he may not be one himself. So uh, Joe Biden, as we said, is the is presumed, I'm not I'm presumed now, the official nominee after the DNC uh, last week. Um, and he, you know, had a great run into the DNC. And I, I want to take a moment and just c- to kind of talk about the timeline <laughs> of what Joe's been doing when he's been outside of his basement. Um, you know, leading uh, in the DC, particularly dealing with African Americans. Um so, you know, we know Joe Biden, right? Jeff, Jeff, you know, Joe Biden yeah. was always the funny vice president. He was always good for a good gap. Oh, no, he, he
1: was there for a good meme, you know.
0: Yeah, he yeah, he's the meme vice president here. Um, but you know, he took it up a notch going into you know his presidential run here. So um I think you know. I'll, I'll just give him the top three here of what's happened in the last couple of months. In May, uh, he was on a program. I don't know if you listened to this, Jeff. It's called The Breakfast Club. Uh, it's a urban kind of news program from New York. Yeah, I've seen it
1: before. I know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for some reason, Democratic candidates like to go on there to appeal to uh, the African-American community, and, and they don't do well. This is the program where, uh, Kamala Harris, who we'll talk about later, said that she uh, smoked marijuana and was listening to Tupac at the same time. Timeline didn't match up. It's where Hillary said she had hot sauce in her bag. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, shout out to Beyonce. You know, you got to have the hot sauce in your ba- bag. Um, but, so Joe goes on here, and I guess he didn't see the other episode, and he tells a uh, reporter, particularly Charlemagne, that essentially, if you have a problem trying to figure out who you're going to vote for, him or President Trump, that you ain't black. And I want to be clear. He didn't say you are not black, which is normally how Joe Biden speaks. But he yes, you ain't black. Um, Jeff, you aren't black. I, how do I, you I, feel I, about that? I don't, I don't get it.
1: I don't get it. Like, I mean, how like. How does the way that you vote, in my mind, depict what ethnicity you're involved with? So I just don't understand his logic to this, I guess. Um, I guess that we're just trying to play on the whole, what's bury the Republicans into a corner and just label them as racists, type of role here, I guess, is what he's kind of rolling with, which I, don't understand at all. Still to this day, um, it, it's it's just mind-boggling to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, that is uh, the, the, that is what we call identity politics, and let and let and let them yeah. call it what it is. Um, the reason this is so insulting to African Americans in particular is that uh, for us, the right to vote is something that we haven't always had. Very recently, we have it. And now you're saying that um, we are being denied that agency by some cultural construct. Furthermore, um, you know, this is basically saying that black people don't have the thought process to have discernment between, you know, what's good for us and what's not good for us. um, And that the only choice for us, the only option, Uh, is to vote Democrat consistently, uh, which is a problem because in democratic Grand cities, we know that we are not served the best. I mean, you know, we have majority Black leadership in Cleveland and and we have a lot of problems here. Um, And and that is all Democratic. So Joe Biden would prefer for us never to change the idea um, and never have a question, never question what the other side may present. um, And, you know, Just be democrats for you know for the foreseeable future without without any discernment at all so it's it's very insulting there uh but joe didn't stop there joe didn't stop there that was in may in august particularly august 5th joe biden goes to a press junket with uh predominantly uh uh, latino reporters and african-american reporters now This is a danger place for Joe Biden. He is now being interviewed by only uh, people of color who happen to be uh, reporters. This is like, if this was a horror movie, this is where the music starts playing for Joe Biden. This is when he's, you know, Jason's coming, Freddie's coming. (laughs) This is when it goes bad for him, right, Jeff? Like, this is like a bad place for him to be with his track record. So, um... There is a CBS correspondent, Errol Barnett, um, and he's asking about Joe's gaffe. Joe has been uh, shaking, um, losing his train of thought, um, and a lot of other things. Jeff, isn't it? I mean, I mean,
1: age is catching up.
0: Yeah, it happens to the best of us, you know. Yeah, I age,
1: mean, you can't outrun it, no matter what. Father right. time's coming.
0: Right, right, right. So Errol asked him, you know, uh, basically, would he, would he, or had he? taking uh, a test, measuring his mental acuity. Um, and for some reason, that that made Joe angry. Um, so to a Hispanic reporter in 2020, Joe responds, no, I haven't taken, taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying to you, before you got on this program, if you're taking a test, uh, were you on cocaine or not? What do you think you... What do you think, huh? Are you a junkie?
1: I, I mean, you can't be saying these sort of things to people, um, especially in interviews that are going to go national. I get, I mean, I guess that he's upset because obviously there has to be some underlying problem for you to get up that upset about it.
0: Right, right, and right. for
1: you to attack back on that, which, I mean, that is kind of, that makes me kind of nervous, uneasy on certain things. I mean, is someone gonna have the capacity to be able to serve four years? So we'll see with that, but at the same time, there's no reason to attack.
0: Again, you know, here I'm just gonna gonna talk about the minority portion of this. Um, You're not supposed to say as a a, uh, uh, Caucasian person running for the presidency, to a hispanic person uh are you a junkie um because the connotation of that you you have to understand that you know minority community went through a really hard time during the crack epidemic in the 80s um there's a very good chance someone in this person's family may have had experience with drugs uh maybe a quote unquote junkie who didn't get uh the same support that uh our our opioid epidemics uh people are being impacted now got that same support so when you say, are you a junkie to a African-American or Latino, um, you're more not only saying it to them, but you're kind of saying it to their culture, which that's not a good thing to do. Um, but, you know, this, this press junket wasn't over. Uh, so, th- again, on August 5th, in the same press junket here, uh, um, you know, Biden goes on to make a comparison between the Latino and the African-American community. And he says, unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly diverse attitudes about things. You go to Florida, you find a very different attitude about immigration than you do in Arizona. So it's, very, so it's a very diverse community. So how this started was, he claimed that, uh, well, the first thought is that he thinks that the African American community isn't diverse, and what I will tell you is that you know the African diaspora, da, da, diaspora, um, which is the concept that people came out of Africa and ended up in many different places, but that we are all pretty much the same, right? We're, we're all from the same root, but we have different cultures, right? You can be um, you can be from you know actual Africa, you can be from Senegal, you can you can be from some of the islands, you can be from any of these places, uh, but you're all a part of the African diaspora. And I would tell you a lot of those cultures have different um, opinions about different issues, immigration being one of them. Um, but to say that African-Americans are all essentially the same is almost like saying all Black Republicans are a monolith. And that is insulting. Um, and, then, and then he goes on to say that, um, you know, well, I'm not talking about their ethnicity. I'm really talking about their thought process, which is even more insulting to say, you know, Black people all think the same. Which is asinine.
1: I have no comment. I can't make comment on that. That's just ridiculous.
0: So, and I think that's good, Jeff, because there's plenty more to go. But we don't have time for all of that. Oh, so, I know that. Um, so, so, so we'll just say uh, all these things were leading into the DNC. Of course, his first gaffe in this primary was uh, poor kids can be just as smart as white ones, um, which he said last year in 2019. And then you can go all the way back to his greatest hits where he asked a uh, uh, a state representative to stand up who was actually in a wheelchair at a, uh, at a, at a um, campaign stop. You know, we all know about the clean articulate character that he called Barack Obama. We know about the time that he endorsed uh, Hillary Clinton as a better choice vice president himself. All those things are readily available on the internet. But you know, this time we're particularly talking about black people and his response to this lead up into the DNC where he, you know, ultimately diminished who black people were as voters and, and insulted them, you know, all the way down to them being junkies. Um, he had to pick a black woman vice president and who showed up right on cue uh, Senator Kamala Harris out of California. Um, Jeff, what, you know, what do you think about the pick? Um, and then, you know, what do you think about how we as conservatives should talk about this pick?
1: The thing that I was always wondering is this process of him choosing who he wanted took way longer than I thought it should have in the first place. I know that this is something that they talked about a couple months ago, and then it all of a sudden kind of just went away. We were sitting there having conversations with people, yada, yada, yada. And then the DNC comes around the corner, and he decides to go with Kamala. Um, in my mind, I think that obviously he's using it as a way to cover up these mistakes that he's made. Right. Um, I think that he's trying to sit there and say, hey, look at what I'm doing. I'm doing this. This is who I picked. Let's put her out there. But then again, I mean, we go back and look. Her track record ain't that great either. So there, it's going to be interesting. Um, I mean, I think that he sees it as – going against two white males that are relatively older, one's in their 70s, one's um, close to getting that age. He has the silver fox hair going for him. And he wanted to bring in someone that's diverse and a female to sit there and kind of ride the train of everyone else in the media line that's going out there that we
2: need change.
0: Yeah, um, and, 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 you know, I, I think you're right. Now, you know, um, we're going to go a little bit over in a second, but this is a really big thing. I mean, we, we need to talk about who Joe Biden is. Um, we need to talk about his pick, and then we need to talk about what the DNC is doing. But very quickly, you know, I think, um, I think you're right there, Jeff. I think the pick was more about uh, pushing a narrative than it was necessarily about pushing any particular policy, um, mm-hmm. because as we know, these two do not necessarily agree on policy. Um, they don't even agree on each other's record, um, which Kamala Harris actually calls a distraction when it's brought up to her. Um,
1: I mean, they, how long do they go at each other?
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And now we're supposed to trust that you guys are best friends on the same page. But I think one thing that's important as we wade into these months into November is that we attack Kamala the right way. Um, understanding that, you know, uh, we should not attack her based on her, her sex, um, her race. Um, Any of those Mm -hmm. things should be uh, off the table. Um, It really depletes our argument, Um, especially when there's so much to talk about within her record as a DA, as a senator. Um, We know that she's argued for the death penalty um, in California, where it's not in the constitution that she's allowed to do that. Um, There's been cases that people are alleging that she either withheld evidence um, or kept people in jail for longer amounts of time when there was evidence that was supposed to take her, take them out of jail. Um, all of these things that she protests that she is a proponent of criminal justice reform. So, you know, when we think about some of those things, it's, it, it's enough out there for us to com- just basically uh, make her defend her record. There is no reason for like that horrible shirt that was on Amazon, um, which I won't even reference, but it, it, it definitely, you know, was a slogan that involved Joe and a horrible term that you should never call a woman. That doesn't help us as conservatives. Um, That doesn't help us convince anyone to come to our side. And if we are really being critical about this, um, it doesn't bring us swing voters. And it certainly doesn't make it comfortable for um, people of color, uh, women in particular, to be involved with the party in any way. So I think it's really important that as we go forward, we do this the right way. Um, Real quick, Jeff, we're going to get out of here. If you had to put the DNC into like one sentence, what would it be?
1: I'm just going to say all over the place. That's where I'm going to put it. All over the place. All over the place, and not. There's not a. There's not one solid message, I think, that came out of it besides just trying to follow the narrative like we said of what's going on with social um socially and everything being put out there on social media
0: yeah um i would say that if i had to put it in one sentence i would say um orange man bad and uh joe guy good um <laughs> that's <not> how <laughs> i would say it i mean the entire dnc was just about how much of a good guy joe biden is how much of a bad guy trump is um but there's no policy there I mean, look, guys, it's silly season. It's election season. Things are going to get weird. Um, Joe Biden's way ahead of us here. He's getting weird already. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's just important that, you know, we stick to what our message is, not get caught up in the fray. I know it's really easy to get into these back and forths on Facebook. and oh, things yeah, in it the is. But, you know, uh, we got to stay on message here. We got to make sure the president gets reelected. Um, And make sure that we're offering real policy solutions uh, where the other side is just doing personality uh, contests amongst the candidates, which isn't appropriate. So with all that said, we are going to take a break uh, right now and we'll say this is a uh, to be continued um, and a see you later uh, for RPCC on air. Episode 16. Say it with me, Jeff. Remote. Remote. See you guys very, very, very soon.
2: Distributed by FCB Radio Network.
0: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh.